0: Let's go ahead and look in our Bibles at Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, we are uh, going to consider uh, our fourth and final core value. We've looked at our desire to be a Bible-centered church, uh, our commitment to being gospel-driven, that we want to be a disciple-making, and fourth and finally, that we aim to be a multiplying church. There's an interesting quote, one of the, the books that really helped me think through the church's role in sending out people into the world with the gospel uh, was Gaining by Losing by J.D. Greer. He says in, the, in this uh, book, he says, those who care the most about the future of the Great Commission will devote themselves to multiplying and sending, not gathering and counting, we're, we're coming out of a season of the evangelical church in America where the emphasis was on getting as many people into the building as you could. And of course, that's still a priority in many ways. But once we got people into the building, we didn't do a good job at sending them out. And so we built uh, large churches, mega churches that became sort of Christian social clubs where you had all of your needs met within the church, and the emphasis wasn't so much on the mission, but the emphasis was on about how the church can serve you. And there's been a shift, I think a healthy shift, uh, away from gathering and counting uh, towards multiplying and sending. So that's what we want to consider today as we look at this message titled The Greater Mission. Let's look at Acts chapter 2 together, verse 37 through 47. I'll read this passage then we'll take a moment and pray and continue on from there. It says in Acts chapter two, verse 37, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, each of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children for, and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he testified and strongly urged them, saying, "'Be saved from this corrupt generation.'" So those who accepted his message were baptized, and that day, about 3,000 people were added to them. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common, They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Let's pray and we'll consider some points from this passage and others. Father. As we come to your word, we humble ourselves. Lord, we seek, we seek your guidance, your help this morning in discerning your will for our lives, discerning your will for the church, discerning your will for Redemption Church. We pray that you would speak clearly from your word. Show us how we might live our lives to honor and glorify you in all things. And Father, make us a multiplying church, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so let's talk about the context of this passage, the setting, what's, what's going on? What, what makes this, this passage important? The setting is that Jesus has completed his earthly ministry, he's gone to the cross, he died on the cross for our sins, he's buried, he's resurrected on the third day. For about 40 days after that, he spent time teaching his disciples, appearing to them, uh, preparing them for his ultimate departure. And after 40 days, at the Feast of Pentecost, he he leaves them and he ascends into heaven. Now, he has instructed them a couple of things. One, one of his instructions was to go and wait in Jerusalem until he sends the promised Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter two, the Holy Spirit has come upon them and they have begun to see the miraculous signs that accompanied the coming of the Holy Spirit. Peter gets up and he preaches the gospel. Now you have to understand, uh, contextually what's happening is because it's the Feast of Pentecost, Jews from all throughout the area, all throughout the region, some of them would have traveled several days to come to Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Pentecost. This is something that was very common among the Jews at that time, that you would pack up your family and you would head to Jerusalem for the feasts that they celebrated throughout the year. This is, again, happening today. When a few of us went to uh, Israel a few months ago, our plane was full of people. We went during one of their feast seasons, and our plane was full of people who were traveling from the States, mostly, because that's where we were flying from, and heading to Israel to celebrate the feast. And just like as you would expect today, back then they would have went with enough supplies for the intended duration of their trip. But while they're there, something miraculous has happened. Jesus has ascended, the Holy Spirit has come down, and now these believing Jews, those who have, uh, have accepted that Jesus Christ was the Messiah that was promised to them throughout their, their scriptures, They are preaching the gospel and many are placing their faith in Jesus as the Messiah. And so Peter gets up and he preaches this gospel and many of the Jews stand in there say, brothers, what should we do? He just got done telling them that Jesus came as the Messiah, he was rejected by them, he was crucified at their behest and now he has ascended and he has left them without taking them with him. And they say, what do we do? They were convicted and he says to them, repent and be baptized, each one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we complicate the gospel message but I wanna wanna be clear here this morning that if you come to a point of conviction over your sin, that is the work of the Holy Spirit in your life and it is on you to repent and be baptized and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's, that's our necessary response to the gospel message. And if you have not responded to the gospel in that way, there's no better time than today. You can respond to the gospel today by asking Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins and to give you the gift of the Holy Spirit to cause you to be born again. So this is the message he declares to them. And he says, this is what was promised to us in the scriptures. And it says, with with many other words, he testified, strongly urging them, saying, be saved from this corrupt generation. And then we hear that 3,000 people that day were added to them. That's some serious church growth. (laughs) 3,000 people in one day. And And then we come to verse 42, which is, a very popular verse uh, from the book of Acts when we consider what the church should look like today. It says, they devoted themselves to four things, the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And we look at this, and, and the verses that come after where we say, where we see that all the believers were together and held all things in common, and we go, this is the ideal church, Everybody was supporting one another, caring for one another. They were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, which would be eventually formed the canon of Scripture or the New Testament. They're devoting themselves to fellowship, which is living their lives together, to the breaking of bread, uh, probably a reference to communion, which is essentially remembering the death of Jesus Christ, and to prayer. What could be better than a group of believers committed to those four things staying together with one another, holding all things in common. If, if someone has a need, somebody who has maybe a little extra might provide for that need. And we say, this is what the church should look like. And indeed, it says every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Now, if this church was pastored by a 21st century megachurch pastor, we know what they would do. They're like, we got thousands of people. Let's build a big building. Let's start some programs. We need programs for kids. We need programs for single moms. We need programs for the elderly folks. We need food programs to help those who are in need and, and we're, gonna, we're, gonna, we're gonna gather more and more people together and we're gonna, we're gonna hang out, we're gonna sing Kumbaya together and we're just gonna have this wonderful Christian community. Everybody thinks that doesn't sound so bad. But there's one problem. One problem was that this is not what Jesus intended for his church. How do we know? Because he said so. He explicitly said so. So if you if you have the handout in front of you, let's go ahead and start into some of the fill in the blanks. The first thing you'll see is this that as good as things were in Acts chapter two, there was a bigger mission to accomplish. As good as things were, this is is a good thing that's happening. You've got people, because they've traveled from days away and they only came with enough, enough stuff, enough money, enough food, whatever, for the few days that they intended to be there, now the Holy Spirit is poured out and they don't wanna go home. So what happens? The other believers in Christ who are in Jerusalem open up their homes and say, it's okay, you can stay with us, but we don't have any money. That's all right, I've, you know, I've, been, I've been holding on to these extra donkeys or whatever they had, and why don't I sell some of those off and I can provide for you. And this was, this was a necessary act of love among the believers, but it's temporary. For one, they're gonna run out of things to sell. You've got an overwhelming number of people who don't have jobs, who don't have provisions to stay there, and they're relying on the believers who live there in Jerusalem to supply all of their needs. This isn't going to last forever. But there's a more important point to be made here, and that is what did Jesus want them to do? Well, Jesus was pretty clear. I'm gonna share two passages with you. The first is in Acts chapter one. So the chapter immediately before Acts chapter two, before all this happened, Jesus' final words to his followers is this. It says in verse six, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you and... You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, that's where they're at, in all Judea and Samaria, that's the surrounding region, and then finally to the ends of the earth. Jesus was sending the Holy Spirit not solely so that they could enjoy sweet fellowship together with one another and experience this miraculous move of God where everybody's needs are being met because there's this spirit of generosity flowing from them and things are 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 just happening in amazing ways he's sending the holy spirit so that they will be witnesses and they got the jerusalem part down they're being witnesses in jerusalem all of jerusalem is talking about what's going on they're seeing this move of god in jerusalem but what about judea and samaria What about the ends of the earth? Well, let's look at another thing that Jesus said before he went away from them. Let's look at Matthew's gospel in Matthew 28. We're gonna look at verses 18 through 20 where it says, Jesus came near and said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you and remember I'm with you always to the end of the age. Before Jesus left, every time he talked about what he wanted them to do after he left, it had to do with the mission. It had to do with going out. And that's because... Jesus came so that this gospel could not only be preached to those in Jerusalem, but he came so that this gospel could be preached to every man, woman, and child. Every tribe, tongue, and nation, every people group across the face of the earth needs to hear the gospel of Jesus. See, yeah, things are going great in Jerusalem. They're having a good old time. But what about everybody else who needs to hear the gospel? What about those people who are gonna live in North America in the 21st century? What about the people who are gonna live in Lower Borough and Sarver and the surrounding communities? If the gospel stays in Jerusalem and it doesn't go to the ends of the earth, then the mission of Jesus is never accomplished. And so this is the next thing you see on the handout. The story of the early church reminds us that the mission is more important than our comfort and preferences. This is something we need to hear as a church. Redemption, the early church reminds us that the mission is more important than our comfort and preferences. Now we live in an environment where our comfort and preferences are probably going to be met far more than really any other group of human beings in human history. I mean go to go to just about anywhere else in the world and you'll find hey it's not as comfortable here as it is back home. We live in the the most comfortable and preferential. Now, it, I'm talking, maybe not Pittsburgh specifically. <laughs> we're in the middle, uh, we're in the end of January and you know we haven't seen the sun for, well, we saw a little bit of sun lately. It's been a decent winter, hasn't it? It hasn't been too bad. Uh, but we, we experience this in the comfort of our climate-controlled homes and our climate-controlled vehicles and we really have to deal with all of these things quite minimally, but I'm specifically talking about within the church. In the church, we have to place mission before preference. Mission has to trump preference. We have to ask ourselves the question, will we build a church that defends our preferences Or will we build a church that accomplishes the mission? I don't think you can do both. Are we going to be the kind of church that exists to serve the people who are already here? Or are we going to be the kind of church that goes out with the gospel of Jesus to rescue the lost who have not yet believed? That's the kind of church we want to be. It's easy... I mean, there was a huge shift that happened in Redemption Church. I'm losing track of time. But when we moved into this building, whenever that was, was that a year and a half? Almost two years. I think this Easter, it'll be two years. um, Easter of 2021. And so there was a huge shift that took place. And we all felt it. Everybody that was involved in ministry here uh, felt it. Because when we were meeting various places, my basement, uh, we had a meeting one time at the Mills Mall in the courtyard because there's nobody there to stop you. <laughs> we were meeting in Stewart Elementary before COVID hit. We were uh, meeting online during COVID. We were meeting in the Need Cafe uh, as we were coming out of that season. And in all of those places, if you were a part of redemption, you were serving. I mean, we were setting up, like all of this stuff got set up and tore down. We were. When we were at Stewart, we were meeting at the U-Haul at 7 a.m., loading up a U-Haul truck with all of our stuff, unloading it at Stewart Elementary, having service, breaking everything down, loading it back into the truck, taking it back to the U-Haul, and unloading it into the U-Haul container. We did that every week. Then we moved in here, and there was a sense of, okay, and we needed that. We you don't want to you don't want to be running ragged all the time. We were burning volunteers out because it was just so labor intensive just to have service every week. And we moved in here, and there's this shift. There's this tendency towards a more consumer mentality. There's this tendency away from mission and toward preference. And we have to fight against that. We have to be sure that we don't become an inward-focused church. So, what happens with the early church? Let's go back to Acts. What's gonna happen with them? So you got all these people who are following you, you got, you got believers taking care of one another, all this good stuff happening, yet the mission of Jesus is not being accomplished? Well, there's a huge shift that takes place in the end of Acts chapter seven. In that early church, as they were enjoying the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, as they were enjoying the growth that they were seeing daily as people continued to believe in the gospel of Jesus, there was one particular instance that changed everything. And that was when a man named Stephen, who was part of the church, stood up and he preached the gospel and he preached to the unbelieving Jews and he told them that that God had sent the Messiah and that they had rejected him And they got angry with him and they picked up rocks to stone him. And in Acts chapter seven, verse 59, it says, while they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And after saying this, he died. Saul agreed with putting him to death. If you're not familiar with the story, the Apostle Paul, before he was the Apostle Paul, was a Jewish leader named Saul, and he was responsible for, these, for this stoning of Stephen and the, the accompanying outbreak of persecution. So anyhow, Saul agreed with putting him to death. On that day, a severe per- persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout the land of Judea and Samaria. Judea and Samaria, why does that sound familiar? Because in Acts chapter one, Jesus said, You're gonna, the Holy Spirit's gonna come on you, you'll be my witnesses first in Jerusalem, check, and then in Judea and Samaria. And so persecution is what scatters them. It says in verse two, devout men buried Stephen and mourned deeply over him. Saul, however, was ravaging the church. He would enter house after house, drag off men and women and put them in prison. All these believers that were living in other people's homes, I mean, it wasn't hard to find them. Everybody knew where they were at. If like 10 new people moved into your neighbor's house, you're probably gonna notice. And that's what's happening with the early church. You got all these believers from other parts of the region that don't wanna go home because of what's happening there in Jerusalem. And so they're staying. So, so, so Saul's job was easy. He's going house to house, rounding up all these believers, persecuting them, putting them in prison. Verse four says, so those who were scattered went on their way preaching the word. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah to them. The crowds were all paying attention to what Philip said as they listened and saw the signs he was performing. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed so that there was great joy in that city. Do you see what happened here? As good as it was in Acts 2, and I think ultimately God's will for his people, I don't think I know, ultimately God's will is to gather his people. That's what heaven's gonna be. When, when the mission is complete and God's people have been gathered to him, we will enjoy, don't take this too far, we'll enjoy first century Jerusalem-like community. But between now and then, That's not the goal. Between now and then, the goal is the mission. Between now and then, it's about Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. And God will use any means necessary to accomplish his mission. The death of Stephen and the persecution, the severe persecution that broke out in Jerusalem is the means that God used to get his missionaries to be missionaries. And if you're a thinking person, you might be thinking, well, I've got a couple of options here. I can do this willingly, (laughs) or I can wait for him to force it upon me. Let Acts 7 be an example to us that Jesus is serious about his mission. Now, I'm not saying that the early believers were living in rebellion. I think they just hadn't figured this out yet. I'm not saying that, I mean, this was fresh. This was brand new. I don't know if most of them even knew the words that Jesus spoke in Matthew chapter 28 or the words that he spoke to those early disciples before he ascended to heaven in Acts chapter one. It may have been ignorance, may have been a lot of things, but the point is Jesus wasn't gonna allow them to just stay there and continue to to accumulate people there in the city of Jerusalem, he had a mission. And so you see on the handout that Stephen's death and the persecution that followed pushed the gospel from Jerusalem into Judea and Samaria. His death and the persecution that followed pushed the gospel from Jerusalem into Judea and Samaria. So that we, when we come to Acts chapter 11, we see another shift in the mission in Acts chapter 11, verse 19, it says, Now those who had been scattered as a result of the persecution that started because of Stephen made their way as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. Now remember, these are Jews who believed that Jesus was their promised Messiah. And so when they go into these other areas, they speak to other Jews. They're, they're, they're still, they're still thinking ethnically, they're still thinking that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah, but then something starts to happen. It says in verse 20, but there were some of them, men from Cyprus and Cyrene who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also, proclaiming the good news about the Lord Jesus. And the Lord's hand was with them and a large number who believed turned to the Lord News about them reached the church in Jerusalem and they sent out Barnabas to travel as far as Antioch. So they hear about these non-Jews, these Greeks, these Gentiles starting to believe in Jesus too. And so news reaches headquarters in Jerusalem. So they send somebody to investigate. Verse 23, when he arrived and saw the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged all of them to remain true to the Lord with devoted hearts. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and large numbers of people were added to the Lord. Up through Acts chapter 11, we keep hearing that phrase, people being added, people being added. Large numbers were added. 3,000 in one day were added. Daily, people were being added to them. But now that the gospel starts to go to the non-Jews, it opens a new chapter in the mission of the gospel. On the handout it says the result was that the church went from growing by addition to growing by multiplication. The result is that the church goes from growing by addition to growing by multiplication. This is an important transition in the book of Acts, it's an important transition in the history of the salvation of mankind. God and in the, in the beginning of his plan of redemption, starts working with a single people group. He chooses actually a single person, Abraham, and from Abraham develops a people to whom he's going to reveal himself. The Jews were oftentimes known as the Israelites, but as he's revealing himself to the Israelites, he keeps telling them that his purpose and his mission is not only for them, but that all nations would be brought to him that he's going to do that through a coming Messiah. So in the first century when Jesus comes and essentially reveals that he is the Messiah and he's crucified and he's resurrected and he ascends and sends the Holy Spirit, now we're in this massive transition in God's plan of redemption. The good news is no longer just for Jews. The good news is for all peoples. So we come to Acts chapter 12. Remember, Acts Acts chapter one through 11, the gospel is going solely to the Jews. And they're growing by addition. God is constantly adding people to them. And then Acts chapter 12, verse 24, we read, but the word of God flourished and multiplied the rest of the book of the Acts the gospel is just going to explode and most of that explosion is going to happen through the ministry of Saul who persecuted the church in Jerusalem but was later converted and became probably the greatest missionary that the church has ever known and he took the gospel all throughout the known world everywhere he went he preached the gospel he got persecuted for preaching the gospel and then he moved on to the next town God did not allow Paul to become comfortable. He kept sending persecution to keep him moving so that the gospel would go from city to city. Why is multiplication better than addition? Well, the answer is obvious, but let me give you an illustration that might be helpful. J.D. Gurr uses this in his book, Gaining by Losing. He says, if someone were to offer you, and you may have heard uh, something like this before, if someone were to offer you $10,000 a day for the next thirty days, no strings attached. Would you take it? Nobody. Nobody wants it. <laughs> Ten thousand dollars a day for the next thirty days, no strings attached. I mean, you could buy like at least a hundred dozen eggs <laughs> with that kind of money. <laughs> you would be um. You would be so rich, right? Or. Instead of $10,000 a day for the next 30 days, I'll give you one cent the first day. And then every day after that for 30 days, I'll double it. So on day two, you get two cents. On day four, you get four cents. On day five, you get eight cents. Which one are you taking? Somebody's gonna take the penny. If you take the $10,000 a day, you're gonna get how much? $300,000, right? If you were to take the one penny doubled every day for 30 days, you would get not $300,000, you would get $10,737,418. You would have left, if you took the $10,000 a day, if you settled for addition, you would have left on the table over $10 million. Now you still got $300,000, but Jesus is looking at the early church in Jerusalem and he's like, hey, addition's cool, but I'm pretty good at math. <laughs> we're looking for multiplication. And if you were to continue those numbers out another 30 days or three, maybe four months, you start to get into numbers that I don't think we've named yet. (laughs) Real quick. The the, the, the point is that multiplication is always going to be better than addition. And so, let's bring that home. Nobody's given anybody any money today, so don't get too excited about that. But something far greater is happening. We have to decide as a church, do we want to settle for addition? Do we want to be, do do we want to solely focus on how many people we can get through the doors to fill some of these seats and some of these parking places? Or do we want to send out and plant other gospel-driven, Bible-centered churches so that we could grow by multiplication? And that's a decision that's already been made for you. We desire to be a multiplying church. And we need your help. We need you to be on board with that. We need you to understand that here at Redemption, mission's going to trump preference. We're going to do our best to gather together people here. We're going to do our best to, to provide ministries and programs that we think help build disciples and help us accomplish the mission. But our end goal is not what we're building here, our end goal is to accomplish the mission of Jesus. And so that means at times we're going to send out some of our best people. Now, this is not a setup to tell you that one of our pastors is leaving, so don't panic, okay? But at times we're going to send out some of our best people. And that's how the Sarver Campus began. Our desire, our goal is that someday that become an autonomous church that, that is solely focused on reaching Sarver and multiplying to reach other areas. But that's why Sarver exists, because when we were, I think, like a year old as a church, when we had already decided multiplication was gonna be one of our core values, but we didn't know what that was gonna look like. So at one of our leadership meetings where all of our ministry leaders were gathered, we posed the question, what would it, what would it take for us to plan another church in the next two years? And the answer was, well, we gotta raise up leaders. We gotta raise up leaders. And so our leaders from that time have been intentional. And mind you, we didn't have a building. We didn't have like a real budget. We, we just had people, which is all you ever really need, though the building definitely is a good tool. But, but from the beginning, we wanted to, to set that precedent and we still want that precedent to continue today. We need you not just to serve, but we need you to bring somebody else alongside of you and teach them to do what you're doing because someday one of you might need to go out. One of you might might be called to go help plan another church or plan another campus or even go somewhere else on the globe to take the gospel of Jesus. And so we had people leave fellowship here though in this season we're still one church which is has its advantages and and things that are nice about that but we have people who no longer come here you don't see them on sunday morning anymore because they're in Sarver on friday nights trying to reach more people with the gospel and the goal isn't to get everybody to leave (laughs) but the goal is to strategically and according to god's will send people out to reach people that we're not going to reach here you're like, Sarver's not that far away. They can drive here. Yeah, they can. But you know what is kind of far away? Saxonburg and the Knock area and Butler. And they're not coming here. I mean, a few people will. There'll always be a few people. Every church has, well, most churches have some people that drive 45 minutes to an hour to get there. But that's not ideal. And so that's what we're seeing in Sarver. We're seeing people from 20 minutes further, not from here, but from there. Starting to show up. And those are people that we can't reach from here. Those are people that aren't going to come to Lower Bar. And we don't want them to. We want them to to be a part of a healthy church plant in their community, in their neighborhood. That's multiplication. God willing, when it's all said and done and our lifetime collectively on earth here is over, We will not just have planted a church, but we will have been a part of a movement. A movement of multiplying believers in Christ. So let me ask you to consider a couple of questions. You'll see these on the handout. Three questions to ask ourselves. One, how might God's vision for this church be different from ours? Like, what do you mean, God's God's vision for this church is different, what happened to the Jerusalem church? I mean, for all I know, they were talking about sending people out to Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. I mean, we don't know. But they certainly weren't on God's timeline. He had a plan. He wasn't worried because they wouldn't leave Jerusalem. He knew he was gonna get them out of there. How might God's vision and don't don't take this the wrong way, persecution is not the only means of spreading the church. We can go willingly. Uh, But how might God's vision for this church be different from ours? Number two, what will it take for us to be a multiplying church? What will it take for us to be a multiplying church? I can answer that a little bit, but I want you to continue to think about it. One, it'll take sacrifice. Sacrifice of dollars. Sacrifice of friendship and relationships. And I don't mean that the friendships and relationships have to end, but there's... There is a shift in a relationship when you go from seeing them every Sunday, being in a small group together, serving together in the kids' ministry or on the safety team or on the worship team to they're now somewhere else doing God's work. Listen, before I I came here uh, to be a part of redemption, I had a lot of close friendships and relationships at my previous church, and I still consider those people dear friends but I don't talk to them as much and I don't see them as much and we don't have the same level of relationship. That's a sacrifice, but it's a sacrifice that to me was worth making because of the mission. What will it take for us to be a multiplying church? It'll take sacrifice. Then thirdly, what will you do to be a multiplying Christian? We had a really good experience as a, as a staff this week. We went to a conference about discipleship on Tuesday and we came back and we had some really important conversations on Wednesday about how we are making disciples and what we can do to help you not only be a disciple of Christ yourself, but how can we help you and equip you to help others become disciples? And we're kind of working through what that's gonna look like here at Redemption, but I'm really excited for, I think, the direction that God is preparing to take us in because we want you to be multiplying Christians. It's not enough for you to say, well, how can I grow in Christ? That's the bare minimum. You need to say, how can I grow in Christ and help others grow in Christ too? Who am I bringing with me? As I become more like Christ, who's following me? Who's coming alongside of me? Who who have I helped disciple in Christ? That's what it means to be a multiplying Christian. That you not only grow in Christ, but you help others. And you, and you live sacrificially. And so you give of your time, you give of your financial resources, you give of, this is what the, the early church did, man. They were selling things off because it was helping advance the mission. And we see that continue. Long after the church leaves Jerusalem, they continue to take up offerings to advance the gospel, to advance the mission. That's what it means to be a multiplying Christian. So with those things in mind, Like I said earlier, this decision's been made. It's it's up to us to steward this value. It's up to us to carry on the torch of multiplication. It's up to us to sacrifice comfort, convenience, preference. It's up to us to be those who are willing to lay down our lives, if that's what it takes, so that the mission will go forward question is, will we do it? Will we be a multiplying church? God help us that we will. Would you pray with me, Father? This is no small task. This is, this grown folks business here, but it's what you've called your church to. We don't want to be a church of comfort, convenience, and preference. Our lives are comfortable enough. We want to be a church of sacrifice. We want to be a church that advances the gospel. We want to be a multiplying church. Use our lives. When we enter into eternity with you, may we be able to look back and say, because of the way you worked in us, because of the way we lived our lives, the church multiplied. More people are on their way to heaven. More people have received the life-giving gift of redemption in Jesus Christ. More people have had their sins forgiven and their souls made new. happened by accident. And so we ask for your help. We ask you to work through us in such a way as your church would grow and the kingdom of God would advance. And so today, we commit ourselves. Time, talent, and treasure, we're all in. Use our lives. Use our church. Let the gospel grow, not only here in Borough. But let the gospel grow wherever you might send us. Let us go to our Judea and our Samaria. And Father, send us even to the ends of the earth. I would pray that you would help us to be strategic, help us to, to be thoughtful in how we do that. I pray that you would raise up many leaders. God, would you multiply leaders here at Redemption Church? Would you raise up those who can lead or serve us? on the worship team, would you raise up those who could lead or serve in our children's ministry? Would you raise up those who could lead and serve in administration or on our safety team? Would you raise up those who could lead and serve in preaching and teaching the word? Those who could lead and serve in evangelism? God, would you raise up leaders and send them out? Send them into our neighborhood and to, Neighborhoods all throughout the Still City region for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray.